And we're still in our summer mini-series, Love to Get It, Hard to Give It. Things that we love to get but find hard to give sometimes. And today we're looking at love. And we're choosing to look at a specific passage that might be one you wouldn't think of at this time of year. Because we're on a calendar that tends to look at certain events. You've got Christmas and you've got Easter and you've got things like that. This might typically be more of a Good Friday kind of a time. And yet, I think we get to learn a lot from Jesus because of this passage. And so if you've got your Bible in whatever form you have it in, John chapter 19. We're going to look at a couple of verses so that we can learn some things from Jesus himself about what it means to love as God loves us. If you had to write a short list of reasons you think that we are on this planet, purposes that we are here on earth, what would you include? Here's some things that I think we would not want to include. Making a ton of money to acquire a lot of stuff, to become super famous, or to have tons and tons of fun. All the pleasure we can get. Those would not be included on the list. As we read the Bible, and the more we've been going through the Bible in these past few years, we understand that we are given a purpose, and that purpose is to glorify God. And one of the primary purposes is to love him and to love others just as he loves us. So we're going to focus on that today, how to learn how to love. It would be a shame to live a whole lifetime thinking that there were other purposes more important than that. Because if you miss this one, you kind of miss the whole shebang. Listen to Jesus' own words spoken to his mother Mary and to his good friend John as they watched him suffer on the cross. This is John 19. Woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. And from that time on, this disciple took her into his home. Seems like an odd verse, doesn't it, to, talk, to think about what we're looking at today? And yet, I think we're going to learn a lot just from seeing what Jesus does. Mary was widowed by this time. By the time Jesus was crucified, she had been on her own for a number of years. Extra biblical materials show us, tradition shows that probably there were approximately 12 years or so that Mary had lived without Joseph by the time Jesus was crucified. So who took care of Mary during this time? We just read about it. John. And it may seem like a fairly simple statement. It might seem like the kind of thing you could expect somebody to say in the hospital, look after somebody, would you? And you might take that to mean, you know, I'll look in on them from time to time. I'll text them at least once a week. Uh, I'll see them at church and I'll make sure they're doing okay. But Jesus doesn't say that. He's getting very practical here. And even though Mary is in her own great pain, Jesus is in tremendous pain, he sees her, he sees her need, and he takes care of this need by saying, Mom, this is your son now. John, this is your mom now. Incredible. When you think of all that Jesus had been through leading up to that point, you would think, how can he even be aware of anything besides his own pain and agony? And yet he sees other people. That brings us to something we learn about God just by looking at these two verses. God actually sees you in your pain as well. 
He knows what you're going through. If you're in a painful situation, whether it be physical pain or emotional pain, relational pain, he sees you. This is a touching scene. God sees you just as he saw Mary when she was in her pain as well. So by simply observing the text, really simply, we can read that from Jesus' words on the cross, we learn a couple of things. We can learn what God does for us when we're in pain, but we can also learn how to love others the way God loves us, even when we're in our own pain. And here's the important thing. This is the big note. None of us can love that way apart from God's Holy Spirit. We can't. We, it's impossible for us to love that way if we haven't been given the Holy Spirit of God to empower us to love as he does. That's what he does when we trust him with our lives. He sends the Spirit to empower us and to transform us so that we can take on aspects of his character because it's not in our fleshly nature. So for me to start loving as Jesus loves, I have to do the following. First of all, we see that we have to start loving our family. It starts with a family first. Then we're going to see another passage that shows us that it gets expanded a little bit beyond that. But we have to start with the family. Jesus sees Mary. I mean, he really sees her. Even though he's in agony, he sees her pain, he pays attention to her. He cares for her by providing for her practical needs in the remainder of her life on earth. And he offers emotional support. Here's some ways to demonstrate love to those in my family. First of all, and I've mentioned this before recently, pay attention. Pay attention. Since our life is measured by time, then how we spend our time is how we spend our life. And when you're paying attention to somebody, especially by being in their presence long enough to really see them and pay attention to them and listen to them, you're saying to them, you're valuable enough that I want to spend some of my life on you. And so that's important. Paying attention is a demonstration of love the way Christ loved others. When my kids were little, they used to come to me, and because I was officing out of the home a lot, as a pastor, we get to study at home quite a bit. That was pre-pandemic when everybody started studying at home, but that's what I got to do. And after our kids got into grade school, Joy would start taking on a few hours a day, part-time job, so she was often out of the home for some of that time. And one of the kids would come in where I was glued to the book that I was studying or a computer screen where I was trying to write, and they would say, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. And I would stay glued to the page, and I'd say, yeah, what do you want? <laughs> and they would say, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. And I'd say, yes, what do you want? And finally, if it was Callie and she was two or three years old, she'd just grab me by the face and go, mm, Daddy, look at me. Pay attention to me. You're only paying a little attention. I want you to pay a lot of attention. I want you to pay attention to me. And that's kind of, I think, sometimes what people are craving. We just want somebody to actually look at us, spend a few moments, and actually pay attention to us. That's really listening, and that's what Jesus did even for his own mother when he was in agony. As his life was draining away, he still saw her, and he saw her need. Even when we're experiencing our own discomfort, even when we're in a very serious time in our lives, God can give us through his Holy Spirit the awareness of other people that would allow us to love them, to see them and pay attention to them and look past our own need at that moment. Another thing that does, it shows respect and that's one way to show love and respect is by paying attention. Have you ever gone into a place where you were needing some good service? and you didn't get it 
because people were standing around. Sometimes you'll go into a restaurant and there will be a couple of employees standing back behind the counter having their own little chit-chat going on. And their story must be so important that they really need to finish that before actually serving the customer, even though that's what they're getting paid to do. And it makes you feel like, uh, I'm not sure that I really want to even eat here because they're showing such disrespect to me. Joy and I went to get some service done on our vehicle not too terribly long ago, and we walked into the service department where we had normally gotten really good service. But behind one doorway, but still very obviously visible to the rest of us in the front, there was one guy standing just about two steps inside a doorway in a little tiny office area. He's scrolling through his phone. And then we look around in another office area. There's another guy standing just behind the doorway. He's scrolling through his phone. And there's one lady who seems to be doing the work of 10 people, and she's scurrying around getting the inbox and carrying keys to somebody out there in the service bay. And we just looked around and kind of surveyed that, and we thought, I wonder if a manager were to walk in right now and witnessed what we've been witnessing for the last couple of minutes. I wonder what he might say, or she. And what we realized is we felt disrespected. And I think sometimes we are not even aware of how disrespectful we can come across to other people because we're not paying close enough attention to actually listen to what somebody's actually trying to tell us. If you want to show love and respect, you have to make a conscious decision. These days, it's a conscious decision to put the phone down and pay attention to them. Be present in the same space. My wife does a better job of this than I do. Thank you, honey. But I've started to learn how to put my phone on the charger behind me so that if it's something vital and important and I know I'm expecting a call, I can glance over and see if it's that call I'm expecting. But otherwise, it's out of reach. It's not something I can just easily pick up and start looking at again. And I'm retraining myself because I had unfortunately slipped into some bad habits when it comes to that. That's a practical thing in today's world. We are so busily bombarded with so many other messages in so many forms that to be able to sit still and actually pay attention to somebody with them in the space takes a conscious effort. And I'm working on it, and I'm hoping that others will do the same. That's what Jesus was doing on the cross. He was making a conscious effort to look past his own pain and see somebody else who was in need. And he was verbalizing, in a very real sense, his last will and testament. When you think about it that way, Mary's situation was pretty dire. She was a widow. She didn't have much. She didn't have a husband any longer to be able to look out for her, to earn a living. So what does Jesus have to pass along to her? Nothing. He didn't even have a place to lay his head, so he had nothing to pass along to her. So what did he have? He had this good friend and disciple, John. And from the cross, he says, John, she is your responsibility now. Treat her like she is your actual mom. And he did. He took it seriously. That's practical. That's what we can do to start loving others the way Jesus loved his mother and the way he loves us. Take care of practical needs. Take loving care of women whose husbands have died if they don't have anyone else to help them, says 1 Timothy 5.3. It was actually something that's actually in our New Testament now. It shows up. But if they have grandchildren or children, these are the ones who should take the responsibility. For kindness should begin at home. This is Timothy, uh, Paul speaking to Timothy, talking about some of the things that should become 
part of their DNA in the early church. And he's saying, you believers, you family of faith people, you need to take care of these folks. However, if they have children and grandchildren who are able to supply that stuff, they need to step up. <laughs> they need to be caring for their family. And then for those who might not have that, if they're unavailable, then you need to step in and try to do the work of those folks and help them out. It's practical. Joy's family has just been working through a difficult decision about whether the kids have enough time and availability to go and stay with mom at her little cottage because she was in need of 24-7 care. And it was becoming increasingly obvious to everybody that we just didn't have the right level of care available through the family members to make that happen long term. And so just this last week, we made the decision as a family, all seven siblings, to get all seven siblings on board with the same decision. You can imagine, that doesn't come easily. And they finally all got there and they said, we recognize it now. She needs to be in a care facility. She needs to have the kind of care that she needs because there are physical needs as well as the safety issues because she was a fall risk and some other things. It's a tough situation. But I watched this family step up, every one of them, and they all did what they could as best they could. And when it got to the point that they just could not any longer, then they said, whatever we have to do to show mom that we love her enough to get her the kind of care she needs, we're here for her that way. And in a sense, that's what Paul is telling Timothy that we should be like as a family of faith as well. We need to step up and help people who can't help themselves to make sure that they're cared for. Each situation is different. Uh, my good friend Lou Talbert, that I have coffee with often, he's a retired minister, amazing guy. He spent over a decade caring for his Alzheimer's wife in the home. And he had some visiting angels, and that was the name of the organization that provide in-home care, but it, some of the people that he got really were angels to him. They were amazing. So he had some help coming in, but he was able to do that all the way up until she went to heaven. So she passed away with hospice care from her own bedroom. That's rare these days. It's incredible. And what commitment on his part to do that. But not everybody can do that. Every need is going to be a little bit different. My dad had Parkinson's, and he was becoming immobile, and he was falling a lot. And so in the last few months of his life, my dear, sweet, tiny mother, who was four foot eight or something by the time, she might not have been quite that small. She started at five feet, but she started shrinking. And she could not lift him up. And so some nights she would just get a blanket and cover them both up and she'd sleep on the floor until the helper would come the next day. And so my sister and I finally sat her down and said, Mom, we think it's time. And so she found a really good care home and they cared so personally for my dad. And Mom was there every single day and so she still had lots of touch with him and it worked out great. But what I'm saying is that every situation is going to have its own dynamics and its own challenges and you just have to rise to the occasion and do the best you can with what you have and we have a great opportunity as a church family to step in and help offer additional help to families who don't have a lot of help in that home it's tough sometimes to figure out the best ways to provide practical needs but practical needs are huge in the way of showing love the way Jesus showed love for us. The third thing Jesus did for his mom, he showed emotional support. From Mary's earliest awareness of her son's special calling, she lived with a lot of pain. I mean, from the very early time when people were telling her, Mary, you do understand, don't you, that your son's gonna be special. And that's good, but there's gonna be a lot of pain. He's gonna suffer. 
He's going to go through all this. So Mary was aware of that. And she needed a lot of emotional support because of that. Proverbs 17, 17 says, Friends love through all kinds of weather, and families stick together in all kinds of trouble. Jesus was there for Mary, and Mary was there for Jesus. Everybody else had fled after his arrest. They were all hiding out. Peter was standing around by a fire, and he was made by somebody who understood his dialect and said, hey, weren't you with Jesus? You're one of the fishermen. I've seen you with him. And he denied Jesus. Everybody else took off, but Mary is there. In fact, all the Marys were there. There were a lot of people named Mary back there. So there was Mary, there's Mary Magdalene, there's Mary from this other place. All the Marys were there present, and Mary stood by her son. Can you imagine knowing people in your village that knew you? They probably knew you when you suspected that you were expecting, and they thought, oh, yeah, sure. Conception by God's Holy Spirit? Mm-hmm. All the rumors that would have spread. All these other people that might have been pretty intimate with the family, maybe even good friends, and yet they were probably some of the same people who got swept up in the crowd. Crucify him, crucify him. It would have been so easy just to ditch them all and go hide away somewhere, but Mary was there. And in the Roman world, women were nothing, and so the guards wouldn't even speak to them. They were just nothing. They were part of the landscape, and yet she was there watching her son suffer that way. But Jesus elevated women constantly in the way he treated them, and he elevated his mother and those other Marys, not to the level of being God. Just have to make that perfectly clear because there's some theology that goes that far, and this is not what the Bible teaches. But he did show them great respect, and he was caring for her emotionally, even though he was in such great distress as well. Joy's family has been good at showing emotional support, even though there have been differences of opinion. You can imagine with seven siblings, I know the Elwells have a lar large family. You never had any discord, no differences of opinion, Not did yet. you? Not yet? Good. <laughs> good for you. Keep it up. But I know in Joy's family, there have been some pretty strong opinions shared and differences of opinion along the way. There were dif differences of opinion even with Jesus' own family. Some of his own siblings did not even believe he was Messiah right away. It took them a while before they started to warm up to that idea. And so, yes, we're going to have differences of opinion, but we stick together and show emotional support for one another. That's a way of showing love. I thought it was really great that the Sunday after mom went into this care facility, they have a community room large enough for the family to get there. And all the family was gathered in that room and they started singing hymns because that's one of the things that this family does for each other. And that turned into a little bit of a testimony sharing time. And then it sort of an emotional purging time for some to say, well, I was feeling this, but I finally realized I got to this point and I recognized this is the right way for us to do this. And it just turned into a, a time of healing. It was kind of like a little mini revival meeting in that community room. And I see that as being showing emotional support, even though we disagreed along the way with some of the people who weren't quite where we were yet. And I think that's a great example of what Jesus did in his lifetime and what we can do to show love to other people the way God shows love to us. We're there for them, even if we still disagree, but we can do so lovingly hoping that one day they will arrive where we are and make the same choice to say, yeah, I, I have to change my mind on that one. I think that this is true, and I've seen it because I've seen it demonstrated to me often enough that it rings true to me. 
Which brings us to this point. We need to validate feelings and tell the truth at the same time. It's easy to invalidate somebody's feeling and say, well, that's dumb. <laughs> and that doesn't really help build a bridge and it doesn't allow us that bridge to earn us the, the respect that it's gonna take for us to tell the truth. Uh, one of the things that I got to say to my mother-in-law when I got in there to visit last Sunday, she just started sharing her story. And she said, but when I first got here, I was so sad because I left this and I left that. And she said a number of things that let me know this was a very difficult transition for her, very difficult. And I said, well, mom, you know, you shouldn't feel bad for feeling bad. All of us would feel bad in that situation. You have every right to feel sad and even frustrated or angry. But what you just said is that you're starting to understand that this is for the best and you're making the best of it and you're taking it a day at a time. I said, that's courageous, so good for you. And she opened right up when I validated her feelings and she was able to tell the whole story, including the fact that she's already met a couple of people who are super nice and she thinks that they're gonna be some good friends. And I said, and mom, this is your new mission field because you're gonna bless other people too. They're gonna bless you, but you have an opportunity to bless them too. And she goes, you know, I think that's right. And so validating feelings is an important step to bridge the gap. You don't have to agree with those feelings because we know that our own feelings will lie to us. Feelings can lead us to do things that are just really harmful. But you can still validate them and say, I understand why you would feel that way. Let me tell you how I came to this conclusion. And by validating feelings and telling the truth, we're leaving the door open for that truth to sink in. And I see that Jesus did that so incredibly well. He was really good at doing that. Um, affirming feelings and telling the truth are both necessary in demonstrating the kind of love Jesus showed those close to him. Here's how this concept starts to get expanded beyond our immediate family. Believers are supposed to treat fellow believers as family. It says so in Matthew 12, verse 50. Whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. So if we're a believer in Christ, we've just been adopted into a much larger family, which means that now we need to start expanding who we're able to start caring for by listening, by affirming them, by taking care of their emotional needs, their practical needs, and to love them as Jesus would love them. But what if a fellow believer chooses to believe something very different on a major issue than we believe? Should we just write them off and blacklist them and turn and run away from them and say, sorry, but you don't check all the boxes in my list. That's not what Jesus did. In fact, when I see how long he put up with some of those disciples <laughs> as he was trying to help train them, and a couple of times he would even express frustration. He said, how long must I put up with you? Jesus got frustrated. We all get frustrated that way. But you know what? I think that one of the reasons so many people really started to resonate with what Jesus did was he didn't give up on them. He kept telling the truth and he kept meeting their needs and loving them even though they differed on major issues. And we can do that too. We can cut ourselves off from other people and burn the bridge and lose the opportunity to continue to speak truth into their lives or we can try to love them the way Jesus loves them so that we've earned the right to continue to tell them the truth. Love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. First John 4, 7, the last two parts of that verse. 
And someday, and I've seen this happen even in my own life, someday the truth finally bubbles to the surface. You know what that's like? You've been around truth long enough that suddenly you have enough personal experiences with it and you think, oh, you know, I really hate to admit this. <laughs> but I was wrong on this matter and I believe this is actually true. I have changed my opinion on this subject. It happens to all of us. Dear children, 1 John 3.18 says, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. That means we continue to show, practically speaking, that we're loving these individuals, and we don't stop telling the truth, but we do so in that atmosphere of sacrificial love, just as Jesus showed us. When I was in my teens and early 20s, there were times when I would say to some of my friends, I love my, my mom and dad, I really do. You, you know what's happening when you say that, you know, but I love my mom and dad, but man, my dad can sure sound like an old fogey sometimes. I mean, he's got some of these conservative ideas and things like that, and I think, you know, we're young and we've got great ideas and we know the way things should go. And now you fast forward several decades and I'm starting to hear my father's voice coming out of my mouth and I realized, oh, he was loving me enough to continue to tell me the truth, but he never gave up on me. He kept loving me. He kept supporting me. He was there with emotional support. And now I think, you know, Dad, you were right. <laughs> I've had to change my opinion on a number of things. And so I think I've actually swung the pendulum from being what I probably would have considered much more moderate in many areas to becoming pretty conservative on some issues. And you know that there's a myriad of issues, and so we're always in this continuum, which means that nobody is going to have exactly the same opinions on every issue in the body of Christ. It's not going to happen. So do we just give up on each other and divide ourselves into tiny little pie slices and say, if you can meet all of my criteria, I will hang out with you. And if you don't, then forget about it. I've got my tiny pie slice of people, and that's my tribe. So there. No, we're supposed to love each other enough to continue to love each other, give each other that practical support, love each other as Jesus loves us, and pray that we have earned the right to tell the truth so that one day, if we're right, and of course we know we are, <laughs> then eventually maybe they'll come to the same conclusion that we have. It's not easy. It's not easy to love as Jesus loved, but man, it's incredibly rewarding. One of the good friends that I told you about that had lived with us for a while, I've, I've had so many neat blessings. God has just, he's been boomeranging some blessings and it's been 30 or 40 years after the fact because this is another one of those guys and he was back in touch with us recently. I told you about my roommate, this is a different guy. This one stayed with us because he couldn't afford to finish his last semester in college in Arizona. And Joy and I said, we got a spare bedroom. If you don't pay for the dorm, will that give you enough? And he said, it would actually. He said, come live with us and so he did. And he wound up going a little different path in terms of his theology than we did. And he had some ideas that were pretty far out there compared to what we believed. But we continued to love him. And he touched me because in a personal message, just not too long ago, he said, you know, you and Joy were always Jesus to me. That was a phrase that he was using. It doesn't mean that I am Jesus, obviously. But he was saying, you were like Jesus to me. You were representing Jesus to me. And you've always been that way to me. And I will never forget that. That was really touching. 
that was really moving to me because it showed me that he sees that, yes, we differ on some pretty major issues. And yet he saw that I continued to love him. And I'm praying that that means that he's also been listening and that just maybe he might change a little bit on some of those issues. He said, despite our differences, you were Jesus to me. And that made me think a couple of things. First of all, I felt very grateful and humbled. But also, I remember a few conversations I've had where I was not Jesus to somebody. <laughs> because I let my anger get the best of me. And I said some things in the heat of battle that I probably should not have said or I didn't handle it in a loving manner. And I think, God, I'm still a work in progress and I need to pray a prayer of recommitment because I would really love for other people to say about me what this guy did. And I know I haven't done it right every time. I've messed up a lot. So would you help me be Jesus to others in the way that my friend just told me about so that I can continue to speak the truth and love them even though I know we're miles apart on these issues. That was my prayer of recommitment as I was studying for this passage. Let me close with this story. Uh, I got a chance to hear Tony Campolo speak out at Spring Arbor University one time. I had read a couple of his books. He and I don't always share eye to eye on issues. I think he tends uh, to be on a, a much farther left track than I am in many issues. But he's a, a loving, caring man who loves to share the gospel. He's a sociologist, he's a professor. And he said he was talking about this one guy that he met. It was a, a young man named Elias, intelligent young believer who got his medical degree and became a doctor. And he said he would go to Puerto Rico where they could afford to pay the really expensive prices to do surgeries that he would do. And he would do that long enough to get a lot of money. And then he would go buy a whole bunch of medicines and equipment. And then he would go to some of the poorer areas, like the Dominican Republic, where a couple of our folks are going to be going in November to do some pastor training. And he said he would go there, and then he would do all these things either for free or for whatever people could pay him. And Tony decided to go with him on one of these medical missions to uh, Santo Domingo, capital city of Dominican Republic. And so Campolo travels with Elias. He's watching Elias with these long work days where he's treating people. And he sees that he's not making enough money to even cover expenses, but that doesn't matter to him because he did this out of the goodness of his heart. And then at the end of a very long day, he sees Elias get up on top of his truck and he whistles and he calls people around and he says, hey, everybody gather around. I want to tell you something. And then he shared his testimony and his story and he shared the gospel. The good news about a Jesus who loves them enough to die in their place so that he could forgive them of their sins and so they could have purpose in this life and forever. And he, at the edge of the crowd, Tony Campolo saw this one guy whose name is Socrates. And this young man was the leader of a really leftist group, a student organization in Santo Domingo. Campolo said that he'd gotten to know Socrates and he knew him to be a good-hearted guy, but he was super Marxist and he was always trying to convert people to Marxism. So Campolo walks over to Socrates as he's listening to Elias share the gospel from this truck because Socrates watches Elias extend the invitation and say, I want you to make the same decision. Would you trust Christ? Can you come to, and there were many converts made that day. People were going forward, they were praying. So Campolo elbows Socrates and he kind of chides him just a little bit and he goes, hey Socrates, Elias is winning converts. If he keeps this up, he might sway this crowd enough that there won't be anybody else, else left for you to convert to Marxism. 
And you know what Socrates says? He says, well, what can I say? Elias has earned the right to be heard. Pretty powerful. As I see Jesus doing everything he did for us, sacrificially, he earned the right to be heard. Long after his death, burial, and resurrection, and ascension, people were still changing their mind, and they still are today, to follow him because he earned the right to be heard. He loved them in a sacrificial way, the way God loves us, and he wants us to do the same. He wants us to build bridges instead of burning them. He wants us to love people sacrificially, practically, emotionally. All the ways that Jesus did, he wants us to be that for others so that we can be Jesus to other people. And then hopefully, if we do that long enough, the truth may just sink in and the Holy Spirit will grab that truth because those seeds have been planted and watered and maybe they'll sprout and the word will grow within them and will come alive and they'll say, yes, I've changed my mind on this matter. First of all, on the most important matter, which is I do believe Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. He's the Savior of the world. He's the only one who can do for me what I need. I need forgiveness. Jesus, I trust you. And then on some of these other issues, some of which we think are major, because they are, but they're not salvation and we can continue to love people in hopes that they will come to the same conclusion we have, even on the major issues as we have built a bridge instead of burning the bridge. So let's pray for God to pour his love through us to others the way that he has for us. 